This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's a Sunday, and that means that it's time for the Joan Hamburg Show. Every Sunday at 2 o'clock, we take over the microphone and share our guests, our stories, and we've got a lot of goodies this week. I'm going to take you wholesaling so you can buy smoked salmon, whitefish salad, all the different fishes that you love. We're going wholesaling. And then, as the leaves are starting to turn, we're going to go up to Storm King in New Windsor, New York. It's like an hour out of New York City, but it's a great excursion. Really beautiful. An art center, and they do have um, carts, that will take you around if you don't feel like walking. And beautiful sculpture by famous artists. And you can have also a terrific lunch there. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And then one of my favorite actors, John Lithgow, is coming on. And John, who is the workingest of working actors is for the first time, I think it's like 40, 45 years, is going to direct a very big off-Broadway show that's getting a lot of conversation. So I'm crazy about John, and I think you're going to enjoy, if you haven't met him before with me or other people, you're going to like him. And then I saw a magic show a while ago with a master magician illusionist called Ossie Wind. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. It's amazing. It's illusion. It's magic. You can't even begin to guess how he does it and what he does it. He uses identity and names And he's in a fabulous space. So I think it's really interesting to try to get into the mind of an illusionist or a magician. So we have a lot of interesting guests, a lot of interesting stories, too, that places you never thought of that make a real difference. So come on along for your Sunday adventure Also, tonight is the first night of the Jewish holidays, Rosh Hashanah, and a lot of people celebrate with or without their families, so it's the beginning of a new year, and believe me, we need a lot of good things for the country, for us, in this new year, but stay tuned because you're going to really enjoy the Joan Hamburg Show, this edition to your Sunday plans. And I am Joan Hamber, and you're listening to WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Tonight is actually the first night of um, Rosh Hashanah, the um, beginning of the Jewish New Year. And I have talked about this before, but... It's still going strong. And someone literally asked me about Acme Smoke Fish Corporation in Brooklyn on, uh, I think it's on Gem Street. And this is great for any holiday or just if you love all the good smoke fish. You're celebrating having a break the fast. You've got to know about this. And you can pre-order food at Acme ACME Smoke Fish. And you can go on to um, 
acmesmokefish.com. Let's say you want to order, you order on a Tuesday, you pick up the orders on a Friday at a selected time. I love this. One of my favorite things to do, this was pre-pandemic, was to go Fish Friday at the Acme Smoke Fish Corporation factory store at 30 Gem Street, right in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And Acme Smoke Fish used to open its doors to the public Friday mornings from 8 a.m. until 1 p.m., and you could buy smoked salmon, sturgeon, whitefish, everything at wholesale prices. And it was fun. You wait online, you talk to everyone, you go into the factory, you get the most divine products, free samples. When the pandemic hit, like everywhere else, the factory couldn't allow people in. And um, it was a problem. And they started a pre-order Fish Friday instead. The pre-order Fish Friday is a limited menu. You order online, you pick up Friday at the Gem Street location, and it's great. Everything's on their website, acmesmokefish.com, and I spoke to them the other day, and they were hoping that before long people could come back into the factory. But the menu is so unbelievable. They have a special every week, uh, it's in the name of one of the the um, leaders there, Gary's. And last week they had sweet Thai chili smoked salmon at $22 a pound. They had the classic pre-sliced salmon, the original, $19 a pound. You can't imagine how good the prices are. The pastrami sliced salmon, really a bargain. And you could get a whole whitefish, two pounds for $18, a whole Nova for 16 a pound, every kind of salad, whitefish, salmon, chopped herring, $4 for seven ounces. This place is unreal. And they have Blue Hill Bay portions, and that's fully cooked hot smoked portions ready to eat out of the package. So Acme, one of the great things to know about Enjoy and happy holiday. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm very excited to talk to one of my favorite actors. And now I have to put in the director title to John Lithgow, who is directing. This is the world premiere of the Douglas McGrath play, Everything's Fine, on Broadway. It's a one-man play, and Douglas wrote it, is acting in it, and it's directed by John Lithgow. And it's really interesting because John hasn't directed in years. He's been so busy acting, and Douglas hasn't been acting on Broadway yet for a very long time. So, John, I'm curious, how did all this come together? Well, uh, Joan, first of all, it's so wonderful to talk to you again. It's been too long. Thank uh, you, it's, a, you. it's a great sign that the pandemic is over and yeah. uh, we're all back at work. It came together when Doug sent me this piece. I, I had devised my own solo show a dozen years ago. Uh, and eventually I toured it around and finally did it at Roundabout. And because of that, Doug thought I was the person to have a look at this. And it just came, I had never met Doug. I certainly knew about him, and I'd read his fabulous writing, uh, but I had no intention of directing anything. But as a courtesy to him, I started reading it, and it simply caught fire in my hands. It's such a wonderful piece of writing. And it, it was sort of big and messy. We worked together to sort of shape it into a play that unfolds in the most amazing way. Uh, we worked just on text. Then we did a three-day workshop for about 40 mutual friends of ours. And it was so clear that this is a wonderful piece of theater. So we scared up producers, and here we are. I will only correct you 
with one thing. It's not on Broadway. It's off Broadway. I meant off. Yeah, I know. Off Broadway. And it's a wonderful piece of chamber theater. It's an intimate piece of storytelling between him and an audience. Right. And it's, if I recall, it's about his growing up as a young teen in Midland, Texas. And then I read, because it brought it all back, this is the town that we all really knew about because baby Jessica. <laughs> That's right. I, I couldn't believe it. It brought back like it just happened. I know. Isn't that amazing how that stirs your memory? Mm. Uh, but yes, he tells that. Actually, he leads with that story. Uh, in a, You know, Doug is, he's an, uh, an urbane wit. He's the ultimate New Yorker. But the fact that he has this Midland, Midland uh, background in his childhood uh, it, it, and tells things like the baby Jessica story with tremendous wit and charm, it so surprises you when it turns into uh, a, a really profoundly moving tale. Uh, you, you know, all of us have some story from that time in our lives, 14 years old, seems to be one of the big fulcrum years. And he's telling a story that he has never told before, not even to his own parents. So it is a combination of so much fun to listen to this wit talk about this ironic childhood, this sophisticated man who grew up in Midland, and how it gradually turns into a moving story that really formed him in so many ways. I, I'm, I'm telling you too much, of course. It's no, me but talking we want to hear much. this. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've all been deprived of theater for a long, uh-huh. longer than, as you said, you, it's the longest you hadn't acted. It's the longest yeah. that those of us who love theater haven't really been to a theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, my own, my own sense of this is, as we work on it, it's a wonderful piece to do as we emerge from a long, terrible time like this, because it's a piece of storytelling. It's like gathering around to hear someone talk, tell his own story so much from the heart. It's like it, it's just the essence of why we go to the theater. Uh, it makes you laugh so hard. And then it just you, you walk out you. thinking, I'm so glad I heard this story. Mm. And, and of course, know, John, doing, and, we're, and, and we're doing it in Daryl Roth's tiny theater downtown. Only ninety-nine seats, so you have this intimacy. extraordinary feeling of intimacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's perfect, and I love that theater. But yeah, it's interesting it when you look back, because you haven't directed, really, right, a long time. When you think about your career, and I'm sure you're so busy in the middle of it and the beginnings of it and all the different curves you've gone on that you really, you weren't 14 when it started. You were 27 when you were still like a kid and won a Tony award and you had just Mm -hmm. opened in the changing room, the play that was incredible. Yeah. I think I must hold the record for the shortest time between a Broadway debut and a Tony Award win, because it was only about two and a half weeks. Hard to believe, right? Open at the Morosco Theater, the late lamented Morosco on 45th, and on March 7th, and on March 25th, I won a Tony for it. And until then, I I hadn't been able to buy an acting job in New York. But I was a fairly successful and precocious young director. But after that, you know, my acting career just took off and it was so, so damn fun. I never directed again until this. I know. Amazing, right? And there were so many things that fell into your life. Um, film and then Third Rock from the Sun, The Crown. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, major, major it's things. The world, it, according it, to Gar, Terms of yeah. Endearment. It's been a lot of fun. I know. Now, is your son still acting, John? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's my son, Ian, is a wonderful actor. We haven't had a chance to act together since Third Rock. 
but uh, he, you know, he's a he's a he's a working New York actor and a wonderful one. How great! And yeah. when you stepped into everything's fine, mm-hmm. was that like wearing your old comfortable shoes again, or was it a new language? It's been very easy, mainly because of Doug. He, he's uh, he's so game. He's actually fearless. I, I mean. When you consider that he has never played a role of this, he's never commanded a stage for 90 minutes. Uh, he's just so, he, his, he, there's this spirit of, oh, bring him on, bring him in here. Can I bring, can I invite people to rehearsals to watch? You know, he just loves the process. And, mm. uh, and I would say not a day goes by when I don't get an email from him with another bright idea for uh, uh, either a cut or a funny new joke or, or uh, he, he's just, he's a great partner. And so he makes the transition for me from acting to directing extremely easy. Right. And this is the first time in, in what, over more than 45 years. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I've had my chances, but I, 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 for one thing, if you direct something, it, it tends to be a large commitment of time. And inevitably, I get some acting job offer, which is, I can't turn it down. It's just too much fun. Directing is not all that much fun. You worry all the time. I, I, I you toss around, toss and turn in the middle of the night about things that you haven't mm. solved. Uh, and acting is, it's blissfully irresponsible. You just, as Noel Coward says, the secret of acting is know your lines and don't bump into the furniture. You know, <laughs> it's really, it's a lot easier. Yeah, but when you, you think uh, it all started in your 20s and it's still going strong. Yeah, well, it started even earlier than that because I grew up in a theater family, uh, re- regional theater. My dad was a producer mostly of Shakespeare festivals in Ohio, uh, one of which is still going on in Cleveland, the Great Lakes Theater Festival. So I was acting away when I was a little kid, not with any dream that I would ever be a, actually be an actor. Um, I was really much more interested in being an artist. Uh, but, you know, got to college and fell in with the theater gang almost immediately. And I was already a a seasoned actor in spite of myself. And when you get that much positive reinforcement early on, you're probably going to be an actor. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's okay. But then where did, well, and John has done so many things. I don't know if any of you caught his Donald Trump poetry. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That was my, that was actually, that was my pandemic pastime couldn't act so i wrote and i illustrated three books of satirical verse about the crazy politics of the last four years the dumpty trilogy so (laughs) i and you can guess the the subject matter i know it gave us all such pleasure (laughs) oh good you saw it joan you saw the books yes yeah but i I illustrated them too. It, it certainly kept me from being feeling locked down. My, I, my, I was locked down, but my imagination ran free. No, and I loved you know all the years I've known you, and you visited us from the early Sardis days and everything. Uh-huh. I didn't realize you were such a terrific artist. Well, you know that was my, as I said, that was my original intention, and. Now it's only a hobby. The the Dumpty books were the first time I've ever gone public and actually published uh, my these were like ink drawings. Uh, but yeah, it's I, I always do my own Christmas cards and, and opening night gifts for the cast and closing wrap gifts for the crew of movies. Uh, it just it's I just don't like to have idle fingers. Uh, I, I keep on doing art, but just for the fun of it. And I, I respect artists way too much to actually call myself one. Mm, I think you can, though. <laughs> no problem. John Lithgow, everything's fine. 
and it's written and performed by Douglas McGrath. John is directing. It's opening off-Broadway at the Daryl Roth II Theater, DR2 Theater, and it's opening October 13th, previews September 28th. So, Joan, it's so it's so great to talk to you. And when you mentioned Sardis back in the seventies, the first times we talked together, yeah, I tell you, my my heartbeat sped up. <laughs> we've we've been at this a long time, a long time. And Arlene Francis was yeah, my co-host, right. the one and only great Arlene I, I, Francis. I remember it so well. Yeah. And you but know, you're, and you're when be, think, you're, but you're 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 better than ever. You're wonderful to talk to. No, I love talking to you, John. Good luck with the play. I know it's going to be fantastic, and I we'll talk again. Okay, bye bye, dear. Bye bye. Everything's fine. John Lithgow is directing, so it's something you want to see. And Douglas McGrath wrote it and is acting in it. Let's take a break. I'm Joan Hamburg. You're listening to WABC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone. A while ago, I watched the work of a mentalist, a mind reader, Ossie Wind, and I. it was the most stunning performance and I've had magicians as guests over the years, and inevitably they talk about Ossie and the influence he's had on their lives. So I was excited when I heard that he's bringing his show, The Inner Circle, and actually David Blaine is going to be producing, and this is a big deal. He's never done this, and he's producing Ossie wins in a circle at the gym at Judson, 243 Thompson Street. So, and Ossie is an Israeli. I mean, I'm just, you know, a lot of people are curious if actors, singers, dancers, they start when they're little kids and it's like God-given talents. But I'm curious, what's the root for a mentalist? How does one become this? Is this a gift from when you were a child or what? So I don't know if I can say it's a gift because I worked my ass to get to where I am. So I, I you know, it, it, maybe the gift is that I had this burning desire to pursue this. Uh, the gift is that I was uh, relentless and I wanted to become as good as I could uh, with this uh, profession, which is magic, mentalism, and all, all the above. But I think that it is uh, it did not come to me as a gift. It didn't come for free. I really had to work hard, and I still do, uh, to make it uh, as spectacular as I can. So I don't know if I can call it a gift. But were you, how did you even get hooked on magic or illusions did your family take you to see people work or where did even this glint of an idea start with you sure um you know i, I will make an analogy here that's, that's it's easier to people to understand because when we start as kids we all paint and draw we all like to hold crayons and we're not judgmental about it we just do it and we love it and somewhere along the lines, you start to think, you know what, I'm not good at it. And you start believing that you, you suck at it. And then you say, okay, I will never, you know, touch another pencil or crayon in my life because I'm not good at it. And then you abandon it. Um, and I, I thought a lot of kids, especially boys, 
uh, at some point in their lives, they get a magic gift. It's a toy. They get a little toy, and they play with it. At, at first, they have fun. They enjoy it. They try it out a few times. And at some point, they convince themselves that they're not good at it. And they just abandon it like anything else. I think that when I got my first magic kit, I was hooked. And I never stopped believing that this is more than a toy. This is something that I can reach, touch people, and make someone's day. Um, And the more I dealt with it, the more I investigated and researched about magic, the more depth I found. I found psychology. I found performance, public speaking. I found many facets of, of magic that are not very related to the technique or the secret of magic. It, it goes beyond that. So uh, I think it, it started as a journey when I was a kid, and it just never stopped. Where to a lot of kids, it's just a very short episode. And what you do is so original. You know, people who don't get to see great magicians perform sort of think it's, you know, finding a woman in a box or doing <laughs> something, but it it isn't that at all. You know, it's, it's really um, an interest. It's a great question because the truth is the bar for magic is very low. If you fooled me, you are a magician. Uh, and, and, and it's not true. It's not enough. And again, if we can borrow from other art forms, which will make it easier to understand, if somebody can sing in tune, uh, it doesn't make him a singer, correct? It, right. Or somebody can, can hit the, the piano keys at the right sequence and whatever, at the right speed or whatever it is. I'm not a pianist. But it's not enough to make him a musician. He needs to be able to use, let's say, music or painting or whatnot to touch people, to, to move them. So it's the same with magic. It's not enough, hey, look what I can do. I fooled you. You don't know how it works. Uh-uh, I'm a magician. It's not. Uh, I use magic as a vehicle to communicate, to touch people, to move them. And it's hard. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, some people have never seen a magic show live. So they have nothing to compare it with. So, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, to, to get good at it, 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 you have to go beyond just fooling people with a trick or whatever it is. It, and it's a very difficult thing. It's very, very difficult. And you have to be able to create an illusion, which is really, to me, what it's about. For sure. And, and most, and that's another problem that a lot of magicians are not very creative. They, they go and, you know, seek magic books and whatnot, which is legit. And they learn the tricks and they perform them verbatim. Where, you know, for me, I always, when I look at anything, I say, okay, how can I make it me? What do I need to change about this so it's, it's, it fits me? It's custom for me. So that's where, you know, my obsession with inventing magic comes from. I really love, you know, tweaking it and thinking, like, I, I think that the author of the trick is where he stopped, but now it's my turn to pick it up from where he stopped and continue working on it. So that's where the invention comes. Now, you um, are an Israeli, and what made you leave Israel to come here? It's a long story. I'll try to give you the short version of it. Um, I, you know, it turns out the, 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 uh, the, uh, the Israeli dream is the American dream. Everybody of has course. this dream to, to come to America. And, you know, uh, I talk in the show about my obsession with New York and how when I first came here, I walked down the streets of New York and I felt as if I stepped into a movie set. I, I recognized <clears throat> so much, more than I could ever imagine. I recognized things from sitcoms, from movies, mm. and it, it felt majestic. Um, when you, Israel is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a great, I, I feel like everybody should go and visit. It's wonderful. But for me, as a magician, the opportunities to uh, pursue my career, to do magic, to meet my mentors was tremendous in, in, in the States. 
And it just opened so many doors that I said, you know, I, I have to stay here. <laughs> uh, and again, in the show, I talk about the fact that, you know, when I came here, I had nothing. I had a hundred dollars, maybe. <laughs> so, and Did I had you a, have a, fans here? Um, fans or family, you mean? Fans, people, you know, who no, were following no, no, no. you. No, when I, when I moved here, I was 21. Uh, nobody knew who I was. Um, I literally started at the very, very, very bottom. I did birthday parties. I did whatever I could get. I mean, the first thing I did was I went to the streets. I went to Washington Square with a deck of cards, and I performed to strangers on the street, and I barely spoke English. <laughs> and I tried to earn a dime. You know, I, it, it was, and it's funny, the struggle was a lot of fun. I, I remember that it was, ne it never felt like a struggle, but, you know, looking back, I was like, how did I not go, you know, insane? Because I had to start from zero. Uh, it's language barrier. It was a culture barrier. It was, everything was against me. And, and I loved it. <laughs> I loved the struggle so much. It made me grow very quickly. And who discovered you? Um, it's, it's, I think it's a bunch of anecdotes, uh, and, and each of them was, uh, pivotal and important for my career. Like the first thing I did, there's a show in New York called Monday Night Magic. It's an off-Broadway show, and that's where I started. And, you know, the, the, the here's something interesting about the magic community. I can fly to Ben Cock and, and by myself, and I put on Facebook, hey, I'm here in town, if there are any magicians who want to hang out, within... An hour, I've had 22 magicians show up, and we went mm -hmm. to a restaurant, and we spoke about magic and whatnot, and it seems as if we've known each other for years. Like, the brotherhood of the magic community is unbelievable. So I think that's what happened when I came to New York. I made lots and lots of friends quickly because I met lots of people who were fascinated and passionate about magic, and it immediately I, I was in a community. And it was a wonderful thing. So I would say Monday Night Magic was the first kind of community, a place where I could perform and, and grow. And then the second thing, I, that I, there's lots of them, but I'll point out one more, is I walked down the street with my dog one day. And a friend of mine was walking with David Blaine, like we're crossing paths, and David Blaine and, and that mutual friend of ours was with him. And then he stopped and he says, oh, this is the guy I told you about. And he's pointing at me. <clears throat> you guys have a lot in common because you like the same type of magic. There's like lots of bran uh, branches of magic and a specific branch of magic, which I'll talk about later, is something that David and I really are passionate about. And David says, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking my dog. He says, oh, well, come to my office after you're done. I said, sure. And I went to the, the office, and David and I just clicked. Uh, we ended up playing backgammon until 6 a.m. in the morning. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so we, we became friends before anything. And, and David has been, you know, I started working for, for David as a, as a consultant and then as a chief consultant, and the relationship was very hopefully beneficial to both of us, but definitely for me. Because, you know, I got to, to work on TV shows. I got to work on uh, his first uh, live tour. Uh, and, and, and I was exposed to a lot of great, you know, entertainment that I was not exposed to before. So I, I, I would point those two things. There's a lot of others, but those two things are pivotal and, and important in my career uh, when I came to America. But you also... Love to tell stories. I'm a Jew. Yeah, you're an Israeli, I was going to say. Israeli Israeli didn't have a story. Yes, yeah, stories are important. You know, here's the thing about magic, which is a lot of people might not know. I can't do magic. No one can do magic. So what I really do is I try to get people as close as possible to what seems like magic. And then I ask you, the audience, to take the final step to complete the illusion. So in other words, 
If you don't have a great imagination, if you don't have the willingness to see something spectacular, something magical, it's not going to happen. So you are the co-author of any trick I do. And, and, and it's, it, that's part of what I love about magic, is that it really is uh, a relationship between me and the audience, and we need both of us to create you know, what you would call magic or whatever it is. So that's something I really love. Now, actors will, even very successful ones, take classes, courses, study, Mm -hmm. workshops. Is that the same with people who are in the illusion world or the magic world? Sure. Yes, of course. You know, as a matter of fact, in my current show, it's called Inner Circle. And it's called Inner Circle for a reason. Um, it took me a long time to understand what the name of this show is. And then when it hit me, it was, yeah, of course, that's the name. Because I am not working alone, because I, I stand on giants, on the shoulders of giants. And I had many, many mentors. So one thing that I really love to do is to paint. And during the pandemic, I had a lot of free time. So what did I do? I started painting all of my mentors. I made portraits of my, of my mentors. You know, people like Ricky Jay, Houdini, Blaine, of course. Um, and then the less famous ones, Cardini, uh, Juan Tamariz, who's a household name in Spain. So these people have mentored me directly and indirectly. So, you know, I would fly to Spain to spend a week with uh, the maestro, Juan Tamariz, who is one of the greatest living magicians, in my opinion, and in many people's opinion. And yes, I mean... We will sit down and you will say, you know, you should do this. Maybe you could like definitely mentorship is a big part of my my uh, progression in magic. And I, I owe them a lot. <laughs> well, you're you're doing great, and I urge everyone to go see Ossie Wins in a Circle. It's presented by one of the greats too, David Blaine. At the gym at Judson through December 31st. And it's really extraordinary. Congratulations to you, Asi. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk again, I hope. (laughs) I hope the best. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm really excited to check in with my pal Tony Danzer, who is at Studio 54, or will be, tomorrow, and are going to be there through Saturday. Doors open at 5.30, and Tony is doing a series called Standards and Stories. But, Tony, I'm excited. So you have a lot of news, and this is also a great opportunity. So fill me in. I haven't talked to you in a while. Well, so nice to talk to you, Joan. I was wondering how you were. I'm... uh... I'm well. I'm. Uh, I've been really busy. I've been uh, traveling around, but the, the, and I have, uh, as you said, I, I'm at Below Fifty Four on Monday, which is one of the great places to play in the city. It's so much fun. It's one of the only cabaret places with a stage, <laughs> so it's really exciting. But uh, but also, I'm just really excited because not only am I working and doing all this stuff and things are great, but my daughter, my age, my my youngest daughter Emily is getting married October fifteenth. I'm writing. In fact, what I'm doing right now is writing the speech. Oh my! I was gosh. thinking I was going to use I was going to use a little bit of uh, of uh, honeymoon in Vegas. You know, uh, Emmy's getting her name's Emily, and remember <laughs> Betsy's getting married. So Emmy's getting married. 
Yes, Uri, it's true. Finally, CJ got it through his head. Emmy's getting married. Almost overdue. Eight long years of holding tight. Crossing her fingers every night. You better believe she's wearing white. Because <laughs> uh, Emmy's getting wed. <laughs> that Tony, so, so that is the, great. Uh, and you better not yeah. cry. Oh, I'm going to cry. I got to cry. Are you kidding? Your this baby. Is really something. My baby. Yeah, it's really something. Very, very excited. Really excited. And so, and then, you know what else? I'm playing the Catalina Bar and Grill in, in, in Hollywood, uh, at Jazz Club out there in November. I, I opened November 1st out there. Uh, you know, I had two great weeks at the Carlisle in June. Um, I've been doing, uh, I've been doing Raising Canaan, which is a show on stars. I'm actually mm. playing a bad guy. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I just been, yeah, I've been, I've been really, I've been traveling around the country doing my show and it's just been a great time. It's been a great time. It's, uh, you know, after all that time of staying in, it's been pretty nice to get out. I know. I was going to say that it's like breathing again and yeah, almost yeah. afraid to take the full breath because we, well, yeah, been... I think, I think, I think, I think we still have to take short breaths because, you know, uh, you know, still 400 people are dying a day, Joan. I mean, I there's no getting around this thing. It's still hanging, you know, yeah, it's scary. So I know, but I, in fact, you know, funny, I was doing some interviews today, <laughs> some live radio interviews, and I also had my vaccine appointment. So I did the interviews while I I, I was actually oh, on <laughs> on live. I was on live today when I got my shot. That's and, a riot. And then I was in a Walgreens doing the interviews in the corner, and the manager saw me. He didn't know who I was. I had a mask on. He came over to me and said, sir, you can't do this. You know, people feel uncomfortable. You're walking around, you know, because I was walking and talking. Right. And I said to him, I, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do it. And then I told him, oh, by the way, I'm Tony Tanzer. And he goes, oh, forget it. Don't worry. <laughs> so, he was, you know, so he just, they thought I was nuts, I guess. So, yeah, know. there's something but to I, fame. I, I love this city. I just love this city. I'm telling you. Bro. Man, Joan, it's the craziest thing. I just am. Um, I just now I walked across the park from from Park Avenue to uh, to Columbus, and it was mm. and thank God I beat the rain. I beat the rain, but it was it was fabulous. The park is so beautiful right now. You can't the believe park, it. the park is gorgeous, but the city with the UN and the president who was here. Oh, uh, I know. Oh my! I, know. I mean, you couldn't move. I was in a cab the other day meeting a friend for dinner. I forgot mm. that you can't do that during these times. Uh, it's, it's, it's total gridlock. It's unbelievable. Right, I had to get out of the cab. The cops stopped all the cars. You can't cross down. And it was okay. You know, in New York, we walk whether we like yeah. it or not. Well, you know, yeah, I like You know, that's one of the things I like about it, though. You know, I was just out in L.A. I was out there for a while because I was doing a show. I did this Tacoma FD, which is, uh, do you remember that, um, uh, uh, what was it called, Super Troopers? That oh, movie, that crazy movie, Super yeah, Troopers, where those two guys, those two guys have a TV show called Tacoma FD, Fire Department. It's about a fire department station that I play. I play an angel. It's like uh, um, uh, a wonderful life. I come back and show this guy what it would be like when if he hadn't been born. Mm. So it's a really fun part. So, but I was out in L.A. and you know I was knocking around there and stuff and everything else. But I just missed home. I miss New York. I really I know. do. You're, I mean, you're it's, it's, such a New Yorker. Do you keep anything in L.A.? An apartment, a house? I have my, my son built me a little apartment behind his house, so I don't mm-hmm. have to. So I go and stay there. What's funny is every time I'm there, I'm staying with them. I got two the two grandsons. The little guy, he's 11 now. So every time I go, all right, I'm going to go out to my apartment, and he goes, "You mean our apartment?" <laughs> <laughs> the kid is smart. He's, little, he's oh, actually he's a got a New guy. York head. Oh, he really does. I say to him, "Be good." He says, "I won't." You know, yeah, like oh, I'll give funny. you a fat lip, kid. That is really funny, fun. but your kids love living in L.A. My son is in L.A. He loves it. Yeah, no, my my daughters are both. Uh, you know, Emmy was here. Emily was living here, and she met this guy here. And, and he. Oh wait, how'd LA, she though, meet him? He, how'd she meet him in he, New York? He was a, he was working as a chef. He was working as a chef. He was one of these smoke jumpers. These guys that jump out of the out of the plane and run up the hill into the fire. Ah! Oh. And he was also moonlighting as a chef. And she met him at this restaurant. They start eight years ago, 
And I started going out, and uh, the culmination is October 15th in L.A. And he's from L.A. originally, so they they migrated back. Wow. It's And is he going to yeah. still be in the fire business? Yes, he's going to be in L.A., but he's an L.A. city fireman, so it'll be, uh, you know, it's, he's not running up hills. It's, it's dangerous enough, but at least he's not running up into the fires, into the hills. Right. Well, I'm telling you, every woman listening, we get constant questions. Where can I meet someone? Where can I meet someone? We have to set your daughter up in business. <laughs> well, see, let me tell you, she's, what a good kid she is, too. Um, you know some Joan? You know that old saying about uh, you're only as happy as your least happy exactly. child? Yeah, I grew up I hearing have, that. I, I have three, right? My son... Uh, and uh, my two daughters, and I just am lucky. I have these wonderful, hardworking, just incredible kids, loving, warm, just, I, I, it's, it's mind-boggling. It really is. I, my, my son's like my best friend in the world. And mm. by the way, my son is 51 years old now. <laughs> How'd that happen, Tony? He was just that, a little you know, kid. He was, eight, he was seven years old when he did Taxi. When he did the two episodes of Taxi, mm. eight, seven, and eight, and now he's fifty-one. So, oh my gosh, the is he was, acting? The other, no, no, he was. When he, you know what happened, John? I, I he did a couple of shows. He, he was really funny. He imitated Danny. So they said, let's put him in a show. And they wrote a couple of episodes, and he was he's great. He, he's the little kid in a wheelchair. Have you ever seen the show with the kid in a wheelchair? That's yeah, my son. that's him. Anyway. He did the show, and then he started getting offers. And I went with him to read for something. And they said, thank you very much when he finished. And I said, oh, come on. We're not going to do this. And I told him, don't do it. And I didn't let him. And uh, and I'm glad I didn't because he's a wonderful kid. He's got these two boys. He's married 25 years. Oh, my gosh. How could that be? Yeah, I still think of him as a baby. I know, a little baby. But he's one. He's a good kid. And he's. He, he's doing something that I'm really proud of. You know, he own, he runs a, owns a sports camp, and he has like 150 kids a day, and they're all ages, all ages. He gives everybody nicknames. There's a lot of tough love, but he is really, really. He's got autistic kids there. He's got, and he deals with all of these kids. It's unbelievable. And uh, my grandson, the older one, Nick. He's 17 now. He's he's a counselor there. He works for the, for him, and and it's just this incredible thing. I see what and you know I I started my my program you know with the pal. We we've left pal. We are now the stars of tomorrow project, an acting a teen acting program. We're out mm-hmm. on our own. We just started, and I, I I have to say it's much like what we're doing with the kids here. He does over there with those kids because it's life lessons. It's not just a sports camp, and it's not just an acting class. It's a life class, and it's a life camp, and and it's uh, it's amazing to see. It thrills, my, it thrills my soul to see him doing such incredible stuff. For more of this interview with Tony Danza, go to my original podcast. Let me tell you, Tony is waiting for you. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. Just the other day, someone asked me about visiting Storm King, the art center in New Windsor, New York. That was one of our great days. Uh, my family and I went up in our car. It's a beautiful uh, area. We walked all over the place and we enjoyed all the art. And if you belong to it, you can visit without an advance reservation. It's open Wednesday through Monday, 10 to 530 you do need a timed entry ticket, and it is the best to reserve it in advance. And all you have to do is go to stormking.org. They release these tickets in two-week blocks, and they are available on Wednesdays starting at noon. And they will fill you in. You can go online and check everything. This time of year is the perfect time to visit Storm King Art Center. It's only an hour north of New York City. It's in the Hudson Valley, and you shoppers, 15 minutes from Woodbury Common, and you can go apple picking in Warwick, 500-acre sculpture park. People who are in the art world say this is one of the world's greatest outdoor sculpture museums. 
There are more than 100 sculptures and installations, well-known artists like Roy Lichtenstein, just Alexander Calder, Richard Serra, wonderful pieces of art and the fall foliage, the beautiful grounds, the views, the countryside. It's fantastic. Now, there were trams, so if you don't want to walk, you can take a tram through the park. You can rent a bike. Not your own bike. Don't bring it. They don't like that. And they have a bike rental barn right at the park, and it's $15 an hour, a two-hour minimum. But it's such a great thing to do during this kind of weather. And there's a map that comes with the bike. It shows you the routes, and it highlights sculptures. It's just something so spectacular. Now, we've done some things, like bring a picnic lunch, enjoy the grounds and the vistas. We also have bought food from the Storm King Cafe. Pretty good. And it's got a locally sourced menu. During peak weekends, two additional food and drink options are available. They have a food truck and a food cart. And if you want, the town, which is just a little bit away, is maybe 10 minutes, has a lot of restaurants. We've eaten at several places. The farmhouse market in town is really fun. And it has meat, cheese, charcuterie, beer, wine, cider, all from local establishments. One of the things I'm going to tell you about at Storm King is the most impressive. It's called Wavefield. It's a landscape piece by Maya Lin, the artist known for she did the Vietnam Memorial. Quite spectacular. They have a daily tour right through the exterior of the mansion and the local grounds. It's excellent. And you get to walk and you get an overview. And there's always a visiting artist. They now have a Kenyan-born American artist. Incredible work shown at the small indoor museum at Storm King and Museum Hill. She focuses on women through mythology. It's very moving and very timely. So something wonderful to do to enjoy the color and enjoy art and enjoy good local food. Storm King is where you want to go.